the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I share with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of my great master's degrees in law were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, that's located in beautiful downtown San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interest in business and finance and wealth creation and transfer and the rules, these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I've shared with you before, I'm proud to say that part of my practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to at least seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find ourselves more and more each day um, targets, if not victims, of some of the more pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that's, you know, uncovered itself in these days as people try to rip us off from the savings that we have accumulated over our lifetime and have it go to them and not to our children and our grandchildren. So I'm coming to you again today from my continued voluntary lockdown from my makeshift studios in my home in another great world-class California city. That is to say the beautiful city of Oakland, California, to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again preface my remarks by saying that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help if you have a legal issue dealing with your finances. Um, I do this because, as I'm known for saying, 
I believe representing yourself in a legal matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you're lucky and your adversary is napping and you can sneak up on her and get real close, you might be able to scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, you're going to be the one who's going to be dead on arrival. That is not to say you as a mortal human being, but your valid claims and or your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So once again, I have to share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not in these trying times, the lack thereof as well as your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. Now, today we'll continue our discussion on what I believe each and every small business owner should consider. If you want to try to save your business, that has been shut down by government mandate to stop the community spread of COVID-19. However, as you know, your creditors and especially your landlord wants and needs your rent money. And, you know, you just don't have enough or any income to pay the rent during the shutdown. Again, the three things that we're considering is ways to possibly gain some relief until we get to the other side of this pandemic when enough of us are vaccinated. And medical experts have suggested that at least 75% of us need to have received the vaccine before we reach what I call societal immunity, aka or also known as herd immunity. And while some crackpots out there in the universe say we can reach herd immunity by letting the virus spread unabated, I got to point you to any farmer or rancher and they'll tell you that you don't let a virus run amok amongst mammals unless you want to have to put the whole herd down. And I don't think any of us want to see our whole herd put down, especially through stupidity. So what are the three things a small business owners must do, in my opinion? I think, number one, we need to look at our commercial real estate rental contract to see if it contains a force majeure provision, which literally really means an act of God that prevents you from performing your duties under the rental contract, such as timely paying your rent each month and maybe other costs if you have a triple net lease. And even if there is no force majeure provision in your contract, a court of competent jurisdiction may find that under a certain set of facts and circumstances, you may be relieved from paying some of all of your rent because to do so, because of the shutdown of your business by the government, would be impossible or impractical or whether the force shutdown frustrates the purpose of the rental contract, all three defenses for breach of contract. We also can uh, discuss the possible defense of ambiguity, and that is where a lack of clarity on the face of your rental agreement or the imprecision of language 
concerning a material term or material clauses in that contract render some or all of the contract objectively or subjectively too vague for reasonable interpretation by a layperson. And we also discussed the possibility that a court might find that your rental agreement or other contracts, because we're also using the same defenses uh, for your insurance policy, which is also a contract, it also might be a contract of adhesion where terms are so oppressive to the party in the less powerful position that they basically have to take the contract or leave it without any opportunity to negotiate better terms. And that could possibly render the contract unconscionable in legal terms. And that, too, is a potential defense for a breach of contract by the tenant. And we also discussed the, the, the second thing we need to do. We need to investigate our business insurance policy to understand the contours of business interruption coverage, if any. And what we thought was the business insurance interruption portion of our policy, because, you know, we paid a huge premium and our agent or broker told us that we had business interruption insurance, only to find out that maybe we don't. The third thing we need to consider is filing for bankruptcy to see if there's any way we might be able to have the protection of a federal court in equity while we try to either save our business through reorganization under the court supervision or shut it down permanently through an orderly court supervised liquidation and then get on with our life by either starting a new business or getting a job or both. So today we're going to continue looking at our business insurance policy to see if perhaps it contains a business interruption endorsement that is robust enough to withstand the many exclusions also contained in the contract that our insurance carrier will point to to deny our claims such that a court may hold our insurer responsible for replacing at least some or all of our losses and thereby provide us with a path to legitimately and ethically save our small business during this pandemic until, again, enough of us receive the vaccine that will create the societal immunity that will let us open up our entire economy. And I got to tell you, I hear experts saying that it's only going to take, you know, a, a short amount of time, uh, uh, you know, as soon as April or May, but I don't think so. Um, you know, first, it has to be enough vaccine and enough of us have to believe in the vaccine and enough of us have to take it and enough of it has to be made. And there might be supply chain issues such that, you know, I'm, I'm just honestly going to tell you, uh, we might be looking at this time next year before um enough of us, the 75 or percent or more of us have received the vaccine such that we have that herd immunity. So I'm trying to figure out with you, how do we bridge a gap of at least one year? 
So again, we need to look at our rental agreement. We need to look at our um, our uh, business insurance policy, and we need to consider filing for bankruptcy. I'm not telling us to, that any one of these things on its own will work, and we might have to do combinations. But at least we need to, you know, uh, put this as a focal point uh, to as, as a bridge, like I said, to get us to the other side. So when we come back, we'll continue today's important topic, the three things small business owners need to consider to try to save their businesses, our businesses, our economy that has been shut down by governmental mandate due to COVID-19. But first, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue today's important topic, the three things small business owners need to consider to try to save their businesses that have been shut down by governmental mandate due to COVID-19. You know, as I introduced last week, we all need to get to know and form a deep personal relationship with our business insurance policy because some of it, some of the language contained in it may form the only basis to keep our businesses afloat during these troubling times. That is to say, again, suing your insurer to enforce the business interruption payment terms of the policy that you paid those huge premiums to obtain may be your last line of defense. However, I have to share with you, it will be an uphill battle because of the nature of the provisioning of insurance in America. That is to say, insurance is all about making money for the insurer by collecting as much premium dollar as possible and by keeping from having to make outlays. So large money in, little money out, the delta is the profit, and that's what is the motivating factor behind the insurance business. And I'm not dissing the insurance business, but I'm just telling you like it is. And they have all kinds of tools. I I worked for an insurance company, and it's like everybody in there was a lawyer or an actuary. You know, so, you know, these are very smart people and they're in the business of protecting the dollar and they will pay valid claims. But I got to tell you, for the most part, you're going to have to fight for it. Now, as some of you know, I have a lot of experience on both sides of the insurance industry. First, as a consumer advocate representing the interests of California insurance consumers before the California legislature, Congress and the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. And I also got recruited by and worked for the American component of a worldwide financial services industry company that had a very large insurance component to it. As a result, many of you out there in the community in the Bay Area know me. And so during the last financial crisis we had here in the San Francisco Bay Area, that is to say the wine country fires, Some of you asked me to review your homeowners and business insurance policies before you filed your claim. Back then, if your house or your business burnt down, 
there was a logical and very visible proof that you had sustained physical and economic damage. And as such, you had a rationally based claim. Then it was a matter of substantiating your losses with your books and records, which might have also been destroyed, if not stored off-site or in a cloud. And even if your claim was substantiated and approved, you had to wait for your insurer to pay out, which I understand some of you are still waiting. That's another matter. So I sent some of you to the California Department of Insurance to file a complaint against your insurer or and or I sent you off to bankruptcy court in San Francisco to file a claim against PG&E because they were found to have caused been a cause of the fire. I'll just put it that way. However, insurers are fighting hammer and tong against the approximately 700 business interruption lawsuits that have been filed this year alone because of something they learned about virus infections and how hard they could hit their bottom line. So what am I talking about? Insurers learned from three major uh, catastrophes that happened this century. First was the 2002 to 2004 severe acute respiratory syndrome, also known as SARS. It is another type of coronavirus that came out of China and spread quickly through respiratory droplets. Though SARS death rate was higher than COVID-19, it has already had had higher death rates. SARS has uh, COVID has already claimed more lives. Then in 2009, there was the H1N1 flu pandemic, and it was a new type of flu. Uh, it, It popped up and people panicked because they didn't have a vaccine, and it was a novel strain of a virus that was spreading fast. And then there was the 2014 to 2016 Ebola outbreak, and it killed 50% of those who got sick. But because it was predominantly spread through bodily fluids like sweat and blood during the last stages of the disease, it wasn't as contagious as COVID-19. So what do these viral infections have in common? Well, they were related to the spread of bacterium or virus. And they were not specific instances of physical damage to a premises. As a result of these viral infections that cost the insurers big bucks, insurers started very quietly excluding losses that are not directly related to physical damage of a premises. And as a prophylactic measure, the policy started specifically excluding any kind of loss that was related to a virus, bacterium, or fungi. So, unless you have what is truly known as an all-risk policy, and again, according to 
Investopedia, an all-risk insurance policy is a type of policy. It's a property and casualty insurance policy, and it provides coverage that automatically covers any kind of risk the contract does not explicitly omit. For example, an all-risk homeowner's policy that does not expressly exclude flood coverage, then the house will be deemed to have flood coverage, although it's normally purchased separately. So I I just want to level set here. I talked about property and casualty. There's like four broad types of insurance, automobile insurance, health insurance, life insurance. And then there's something called property and casualty. Property, I believe, explains itself. House burned down, automobile wreck. But casualty is a kind of like nebulous kind of thing that might escape. It's not casualty, dress casual Friday. It's casualty insurance. It's a broad category of insurance coverage for individuals, employers, and businesses against loss of property, damage, and other liabilities uh, that might come into a, a business. Now, casualty insurance includes vehicle insurance, liability insurance, such as you know, I'm a, um, uh, a licensed attorney. I have errors and emissions insurance. It also is theft insurance. Liability losses are losses that occur as a result of the insured. I'm an insured. Red, and then there's insurer, uh, is the result of an insurer's interaction with others or their property. My interaction with my clients providing them legal services. For homeowners and car owners, it's important to have casualty insurance as damage can end up being a very large expense. In addition to automobile and liability insurance, casualty insurance is an umbrella term traditionally used to describe many other types of insurance, including aviation insurance, work persons compensation, surety bonds, and business interruption insurance. It, For example, when you're dealing with business interruption, its purpose is to replace lost business income and to cover those extra expenses associated with not being able to run your business in its traditional location. Fire burnt down uh, businesses in Napa. Some of them had to go to San Francisco to continue business. If their policy paid out properly, it would have covered their new location, the expenses for that new location up to a certain amount of time. Okay. So uh, we, we, I, I wanted to take the time to just give us an understanding of the purpose of insurance and why is it so important. And then we're going to look at a sample insurance policy to show you what insurers have undertaken to hopefully, from their vantage, not have to pay out for um, the spread of covid that shuts down businesses. So you need and I need to look at our policies to see if there's any language in there that specifically excludes or if the language is ambiguous or uh, it it's, uh, frustrates the purpose for us uh, being in business 
uh, or if it's a contract of adhesion. These are things that we would argue in court to try to get a court to side with us and say that the insurer should pay for our lost income and for the extra expense that we had to undertake to transfer our business from a place, a brick and mortar location to an online business or a business that's only done uh, with takeout or drive up to the curbside to pick up the products or services. So when we get together next time, we'll look at a sample business policy to see what might or might not be covered in your policy. But as we're running out of time, I'm going to leave it there for now. But always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, especially if we want to keep our businesses afloat and take care of our families and our employees during this pandemic until most of us get vaccinated from COVID-19. Mask up, keep your social distance, wash your hands. Take care. See you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.